Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. We're gonna read up on a lot of plays and talk about them in many ways. So welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Read More Plays, the comedy podcast about plays and the artistic process. I'm Ricardo Frederick Evans. And I'm Jennifer Sassaman. This week, we are going to be talking about Dominique Morisot's powerful drama, Pipeline. This show opened off-Broadway in 2017 and was nominated for five Lortel Awards, which recognize excellence in off-Broadway theater in New York. Mauricio herself has also won a number of awards, having twice won the NAACP Image Award, which celebrates the outstanding achievements of people of color in the arts. Her play Skeleton Crew was nominated in this year's Tony Awards for Best Play. She was also a recipient of the MacArthur Fellowship, also known as the Genius Grant. This is not the first playwright who is also a Genius Grant winner that we are talking about on our podcast. If you'll remember from season one, episode six, we talked about Larissa Fasthorse's brilliant comedy, The Thanksgiving Play. Larissa was one of the 2020 Genius Grant recipients. And earlier this month, she announced that that play will be going to Broadway in 2023. This is... The first time a Native American playwright will be produced on Broadway, which I think is genuinely fantastic news. I'm so happy for her. It could not happen to a nicer woman. Sadly, the play we are talking about today is not a comedy, and it does have some trigger warnings that we want to make people aware of. The play Pipeline centers around the topics of racism and school violence done to both students and teachers. And as such, our conversations will be centered on these topics. This play is meant to bring difficult topics to light, but difficult topics can be difficult to listen to. So if you're sticking around for the conversation, now you know they are coming. And if any of these things are too much and you want to sit this episode out, we completely understand. We swear that our next episode is a comedy. In two weeks for the final episode of season two, we'll be discussing Karen Zacharias's fabulous telenovela-esque Destiny of Desire and we will look forward to having you back with us again then. But for now, we're still in heavy drama conflict mode, and it is time for the hot takes. Deedleet hot takes. I was trying to do dramatic. Every episode, we start off answering the same five questions to give you a quick look at our general impressions of the show. Hot take number one. What do you think is the best thing about this show? I think the best thing about this show is it's, I love the way that it's written, the language, uh, the, the, just the flow of it, um, even the incorporating, even the incorporation of the stage directions, um, just make for a very cohesive piece of literature. I think, um, it's a great, it's a great read. I think it's fun. Uh, yeah, there are some, uh, heavy themes, heavy topics, uh, but, uh, I, I think, um, it, it's presented in an art, artistic way and it, it, I think it is really enjoyable. It's an enjoyable read. So I agree with you. I think this play is, is really beautifully written. I think she has a great sense of how to create 
vibrant humans and make their emotions palpable. Uh, but for me, the thing that really stood out was the way the title of the play and the lack of any arrest or any actual going to prison that happening in the show really made me think about what it could feel like to always be afraid that your child might get carted off to prison if just the wrong <laughs> thing happened in the wrong way. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've known about the problem of the school to prison pipeline for a long time, but this play made me feel it. And I think that's remarkable. That's so funny that you would say that. Um, and I love that you said that. I totally agree with that. I totally get that. Um, and I, yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because question number two in hot takes is what do you see as the biggest problem with the text? And I'm like, a big fan of like the title of a play having significance within the play itself. And it doesn't really like pipeline is not referenced in the play. It's not even established what that link is. And the fact that I heard so much about this play and about what the play was about and about, it was about this. Uh, it was about the, the, the the prison or, or the um you know the 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 school to prison pipeline and that you know that was the the core of what it was about and after reading it I was like when <laughs> what when when was it about that yep it was yep. just a story about these lives and it really never really it never really made that connection as much as I heard about it I I yeah, <laughs> that was that's the one thing that pissed me off, and I thought it was the biggest problem with the text. And I was like, that really bothered me. <laughs> it's so funny that you said that. So it really bothered me on my first read, um, mm -hmm. but it didn't bother me once I started doing the analysis. It started to make sense, and in fact, yeah. the analysis that we're going to talk about today is the um, the analytic technique of working on the meaning of the title of the play. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about that later on in good, the episode, good. hashtag forward. Hashtag forward. Um, but I was definitely exactly where you're describing yourself um, after my first read of the play. Yeah. And so. I've and... been flim flammed, hoodwinked, <laughs> <laughs> bamboozled. <laughs> my biggest problem with the play was I felt like it had this really strong beginning and this really strong middle and it was just building and building. And then it kind of, I felt like it went nowhere. I, I feel like the ending was not very strong. I think that, that uh, again, gorgeous writing, really compelling, relatable. I could feel all these characters beginning, middle, and then it didn't end so much as like a bunch of stuff got mentioned and then it just bleh. Nothing really, it, it decimated the arc of the show. And I wonder if I would have felt the same way if I hadn't just read Slave Play, because Slave Play to me felt so powerful and so clear, like there's no subtlety in Slave Play. That message just like exploded all across the page. And uh, this was, I think, a little more subtle. And uh, so it didn't hit. I, it didn't hit, but I really feel like it's just that last scene that didn't hit for me. Hot take number three. What is your favorite quote from the play? Oh, my favorite quote 
is uh, it's a Naya quote um, later in the play. Uh, and I kind of feel like maybe this summed up sort of the essence of the theme of the play. Um, she says, you're not an animal no more than the rest of us are. And if so, we built the jungle. Um, I, I wanted to con I wanted to connect it to a, a part that she continues to say later on. It's not a line directly after this, but like a few lines later. Um, and she continues and says, this rage is not his sin. It was never his sin. It is his inheritance. Um, mm hmm and just kind of like that connected the sense of the pipeline thing to it. Mm, like, yeah. even though it was never directly referenced, I was like, okay, I can pull from that. Like that I can work with. But man, I was struggling to make that title fit into this play. I'll get to um, outside of the you. Outside of the references, you know, uh, or the reviews, I'm sorry. My favorite quote is also a Naya quote. Um, it is her line. She tells her son... I will take a bullet for you. I will suffocate the sun for you. I will steal the sky for you. I will blind Moses for you. I will strip the wind and the rain and the forests for you. Before I let you die or rot or lose your freedom, I will surrender my own. You know that? I would die if you could be born again without this oppressive rage. I just, I don't know what to do. I need you to tell me. Tell me how to save you. Tell me how to give you another life. Um, that's a good one. That Jesus. monologue has been my life uh. every day for the past two years. I, I mean, my child's struggles are very different from Omari's struggles, but you know, a, a friend of mine used to say, you can only be as happy as your unhappiest child. And when your child is in a life threatening crisis, there's nothing, there's nothing else. And you, as the parent, you would do anything to end it to change it and uh and you can't and the kid almost never has the answer for you <laughs> oh naya spoke to me yeah i get that <clears throat> i could see that totally okay um next hot take if you were to work on this show what production role would you want you know i thought when I read the description of Lori, I'd want to play her. I do not want to play that character. <laughs> what? I do not? not. Anybody who teaches from a place of shame is not a good teacher in my book. She is the inner city white lady version of Severus Snape. And I am not having it. I don't want to be it. So I guess I want to be an audience member. Interesting. Then I have a question for you that I'll okay. ask you later on in show discussion about the Laurie point. And I've written it down so I don't forget. <laughs> don't let me forget this. <laughs> boop, boop, boop. <laughs> um, and you? What, if you were going to work on a production of this show? I think I really would want to direct it. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think I really would want to direct it. I could see you playing the, either I think they were... Xavier or Dunn. Like, I think you could do mm. a good job playing both of those roles, but it's interesting because I feel like you would type both into the, like, the cold, handsome ex-husband and the warm, affable lover. Like, <laughs> you could play both parts. That weird mix. Yeah, I could see that, too. Um, interesting. I, yeah, I didn't really 
Character-wise, I think I vibed more with the description of Omari, but I mean, oh. we'll talk more about that too in, sh- in show discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, no, I was feeling like I, I was feeling more directing, the directing pull. Well, then you better figure out the meaning of the title, my friend, because it affects the whole production. <laughs> I know. What... Uh, Want to guess? Oh, you Three do guesses in the first Which two don't count? Which character that plays most like you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I already answered. I'm going to, I can, I can. I'm going to go out on a limb. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say Naya, <laughs> not because you kind of spoiled it earlier, but just because I was feeling it just from reading the play. I'm like. She's number yeah, 11 they and misspe- she's Naya. They misspelled Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> It's all that cigarette smoking I do. Yeah. I, uh, you know, really right out of the gate. There were a few differences, yes. uh, Right out of the gate when uh, the character description. I actually thought all the character descriptions were quite evocative. But Naya is described as a single mother, a teacher trying to raise her child (laughs) on her own with much difficulty. A good teacher inspiring her students in a stressed environment. Struggling parent doing her damnedest strong but burning out. Holding, uh, holding together by a thread. I wrote, um, thanks for the biography of my life, Dominique. <laughs> I appreciate right. that. It's a little. It was a little scary, actually. <laughs> I kind of felt the same way from most of Omari's description. Mm. Uh, at least, especially when I was a teenager, or, um, when I would have been his age. Uh, <laughs> so I love that you. I loved that you saw that. Um, yeah, her character descriptions were. I love them. There was I love I love them so much. So you're gonna Omari is yours, the character that you felt was the most like you. Yes. <laughs> I thought Lori, white Hold woman, fifties, pistol of a woman. I'm like, oh, a pistol of a woman. Yeah. I love that line. And then it was too. like, she oh. actually says it in the text. You're a pistol of a woman. <laughs> <laughs> My note in the. <laughs> My note in my script under Xavier's description, I wrote, note to self, try to wait until you learn more about him before you hate him. About Xavier? Yeah. I wanted to love Xavier. Oh, I hated him so much. I wanted to I wanted to light him him on fire. Uh, (laughs) There was so much in this. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't imagine what you were thinking reading this play. <laughs> but we can, mm-hmm. That can be a separate conversation. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, yikes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they had this conversation later when they actually have a parental moment. And I was like, oh, okay. Bunch of characters are most like you. So, okay, immediately I vibed with Omari just from this the uh, description because all the descriptions are fantastic mm-hmm. so everything omari everything written about omari everything except like late teens <laughs> um you know private school education i put an asterisk by that um uh because in my defense i had a private school mindset in my late teens even though i wasn't in a private school um <laughs> and the fact that it says naya's son you know in my defense i was somebody's son so i you know that can be you know here or there but you know black man late teens smart and astute rage without release tender and honest at his core something profoundly sensitive amidst the anger wrestling with his identity between private school education and being from a so-called urban community nice son so you know i get like the themes i get that i get what that means um 
And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> How, uh, you know, who is this playwright and what is she doing, you know, peering at my soul? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I can relate to that. And I get what you said earlier about this, you know, that similar sentiment. Yeah. As always, we'd love to hear your hot takes. Just a reminder that you can post them on our social media pages or send them to us in a voice message for us to play during our Community Voices section. And now the section where I test Jennifer to see how well she knows the plot of Pipeline by giving her a quiz about what happens in this show. If you've read the play, you can take the quiz along with us as you listen, but if you haven't, this is a great way to get familiar with the story. Just to set this up for those of you who did not read the play, Pipeline is a story about Naya, a black woman teaching in an inner city public school who is trying to help her son, Omari, who has recently been involved in a physical altercation of some kind at his expensive high-end boarding school and is on the verge of not only being kicked out, but possibly arrested as well. But before she can help him, first she has to find him. Now on to the quiz. <laughs> it's a treasure hunt. Find your son. Colder. Colder. You're getting warmer. <laughs> it's like one of those mazes on a placemat at the IHOP. Help Omari oh. find his mom. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> <laughs> Just a reminder, if there are any questions you don't know the answer to, you can always use a lifeline and call Sam, our friendly neighborhood sound engineer, so he can give you the answer. Um, all right, question number the first. In At the top of the show, we meet Naya, and she is leaving a message for someone. Who is it, and what is the message she's leaving? She's leaving a message for her ex-husband, Xavier, about the fact that her, their son has been involved in some kind of big hullabaloo up at the school and is going to get kicked out, might get arrested, and also she misses him. Mm -hmm. Terrible. When she deletes that message. Terrible human that he is. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I'm like... Uh, that was one of the reasons why I was like, oh, man, I was kind of rooting for him because she, because she still likes him. She still has feelings for him. And love I was like, I hope he's a good guy. Nope. I hope he's a good guy. People love assholes <laughs> all the time. Sad but true. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, Okay. Yes, that is the correct answer. All right. Next question. Um, scene two. <clears throat> Uh, we meet Jasmine and Omari, uh, and they are comparing each other to, let's say, items from Mr. Peterson's science class. What are the items that they compare each other to? Ooh, I definitely remembered that it was stuff from their science class with Mr. I think Omari is a lunar eclipse. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And then... Jasmine is space dust. Is she a meteor? I don't know. <laughs> <She's> <laughs> space dust. I think I might have to use my lifeline. Beep, boop, 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 boop. <laughs> now connecting you to Sam, help me. Sam, help me. <laughs> so, if I remember correctly, it's she is metamorphic rock. 
because he gasses ah, her up. It's like space dust. Rocks. It's like space dust. <laughs> Big chunky space dust. Big chunky space dust. Chunky space dust. Speaking of my autobiography. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I I love like I love this scene though between Jasmine and Omari, this back and forth the two of them have. Um, you can tell that they really do care about each other. It's written in it's in, in a lovely way. I really like um, those, compliments. and it made me miss my old science classes from like <laughs> seventh eighth grade. He says, "I just looked it up. Metamorphic rock. They change in form, made from heat and pressure. That's what makes them so rare and interesting." Yes. And then he's a lunar eclipse, rare and hiding in the shadows of Earth, always ready for an escape. Yeah, sums his character up you know, pretty perfectly. I, I, Hashtag forward. As a teacher, like all I could think is Mr. Peterson would have loved to know that they were talking that way. I always remember I was uh, mm-hmm. in my first yeah. university when I was teaching in Alabama. Um, I was in this play discussion group, actually the play discussion group that gave me the idea to start this podcast and my students who had recently been in my theater history and lit class where I was talking about the French neoclassical ideal, they referenced it and made a joke about it and everybody laughed and I was like, what is happening? It was so magical. You guys held on to the information and you're using it and you're like building comedy on it. Oh, it was amazing. It is the best when teachers you, live for that. You're like they're learning. <laughs> they are learning. Uh, um, beautiful. Okay, fantastic. Next question. Um, scene three, teachers lounge. We are introduced to Lori, a pistol um, of a woman. Rather, pistol of a woman she is described as a pistol of a woman in her stage direction again again I don't want to play her in a little cowgirl outfit (laughs) fight for education (laughs) they're gonna learn today Oh my god. So all right, the question is actually the question is what is Lori recovering from? Or what has Lori recovered oh. from? She's been she's been away. She's had a, a substitute uh teacher in her class. Um there's gonna be a bonus follow-up about the substitutes, so brace yourself. Thanks for um, letting me know. She's been away. Hashtag forward. Uh so <laughs> what is she recovering from? Um this is kind of a two-part question because I wanted to cover two. Oh my gosh, Ricardo, just stop three, talking cause... and I'll answer the question. <laughs> but it's a two-parter. Okay, first part. What is Lori recovering from? Lori was uh not too long ago attacked by one of her students who like cut off her face basically, and so she's had to have major facial reconstructive surgery right yeah i'm like i wouldn't come back to teach there i'm sorry <laughs> i'd be done i'd be done teaching at the school but she's coming back with the vengeance she is a pistol of a woman yeah <laughs> yeah so yes that is the correct answer um second part of that question this isn't the bonus part just yet but the second part of the question also in scene three uh we meet dunn <clears throat> and he is trying to get he's trying to comfort Naya, but he's trying to get her to admit something. I mean, he keeps saying, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" He's trying to get her to talk to him about whatever's bothering her, and that something's bothering her. Yeah, 
What is Dunn trying to get? Into Naya's pants. <laughs> yes, well, all right then. <laughs> um, a super bonus follow-up question. Oh, man, I forgot what my bonus follow-up question was. Crap. It had something to do with Laurie's face. Uh, it, uh, sorry, sorry. No, it wasn't about that. It was, sorry, it was the substitute. Oh, yeah, the, um, the substitute who was be... super inept and wouldn't teach anything that was in her yes. lesson plan. Well, the question is, okay, super bonus follow-up question. What um, Naya and Lori compare substitutes? Uh, what are the clear distinctions between their substitutes? Um, Naya's substitute, well, Lori is complaining about how inept the person who covered her class was and saying, I left a lesson plan. She didn't do anything from it. I don't know what they're teaching at that teacher college. And Naya said, oh, well, you should have so-and-so. When I was out, they followed my lesson plans. They graded my papers. Yeah, they did. Smith, I think it they, was Smith. They folded my laundry. <laughs> they uh, walked my dog. <laughs> right. They did my taxes. <laughs> they they paid saved me the $150 shutters. of my car insurance. <laughs> They planted my perennials for next year. <clears throat> right. And meanwhile, Patricia or or uh, whatever the was it Patrice? Patrice or whatever the other substitute is that Lori had was showing them movies of uh, dangerous. Oh, they dangerous watched. Mines. It, <laughs> no, no, no. Didn't they watch The Wire? They watched The Wire too, but that, they also watched the Michelle Pfeiffer movie. I don't movie. think they watched that. Was, that. I wasn't think that she dangerous? was. No, I think she was saying that like they watched that at college, and that's what they think is going to happen when they go to inner cities. Oh, right, right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yes, they watched the wire because he, the uh, trying the to teacher, scare him the straight. substitute wanted to show them what it was really like. All right, wonderful. Next question. Um, scene four. Naya. It gives a presentation and is referencing a poem. What is the poem that she references uh, and who is the poet? The poet is Gwendolyn Brooks, who I'm going to talk about in my dramaturgy section today. Oh, yeah. And the poem is um, We Real Cool. Is that what it's called? Yeah, it's called it's called We Real Cool because I had it in my dramaturgy. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. That is the correct answer. Next question. Um, scene five, Naya shows up at Jasmine's dorm room and she is distressed about something. What is she distressed about? What is she looking for? Both of the same thing. She is distressed because she was told to come up and pick up her son who is being suspended or expelled or maybe even arrested. And so she got there. She had to drive upstate to get him. And he wasn't there. And she's supposed to pick him up and all his stuff. And that he wasn't there. So she went to his girlfriend's room to see if she knew where her son was. Right. And Jasmine admits that she doesn't know or she wasn't told. She doesn't. She tells her everything that she um, everything that she knows. Um, Begrudgingly. She doesn't know very much. Yeah, begrudgingly. And she doesn't want to tell her anything. And at first... Naya kind of, you know, connects with her and tries to, like, really explain how hard it is on her. And then she just flat out threatens her. It's like, give me the yeah. information. <laughs> <laughs> we will tell me what my son is. Mm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so 
Great, that is the correct answer. Next question. Um, later in the evening, um, we find Naya at home and Omari shows up. Where do we discover that he has been? Well, he was trying to go to Philly, um, but then he decided that he should go home to his mother. It didn't make it seem like he got all the way to Philly. He was like, my friend there he has... He decided to catch a, a train, yeah, <laughs> with some friends and mm, didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> Next, yes. Next question. Um, scene seven. What do Xavier and Naya agree on uh, together as Omari's parents? Well, they made an agreement that they were going to co-parent and that they weren't going to fight each other even though, you know, there was conflict between the two of them, they weren't going to let that interfere. They were going to work as a team. Although it doesn't sound like they've been working as a team. It's not like they made a decision that Omari was going to go to this fancy boarding school. And then the dad just kind of vanished. And mm -hmm. uh, Naya was doing all of the parenting. Wonderful. Great. Fantastic. Thank you that is best. a correct answer. Uh, next question. So in scene seven... As a result of um, Omari's altercation at school, um, Xavier and Naya meet, and then they agree at the end of the scene um, to on a plan do going what? forward. Yeah, to do what to plan? What is the plan for Omari's future? Um, well, they decide they decide that Omari will go live with his dad and go to school where his dad currently resides it's unclear where that is but the mom lives in some urban neighborhood they they say in the in the play that it's not city specific they said it could be any urban area with the school problems so it's like so any city then um although not philly because they talk about going to philly and then not going to philly <laughs> so whatever city they're in the mom teaches, you know, at a low performing inner city high school and the dad is some big, rich muckety muck somewhere else. And so they had sent Omari up to this expensive boarding school where he felt really out of place. And now he is coming home and the mom says that he could go to school there. And the dad says no. And they, the dad says he should come live with me. And the mom agrees that she won't fight him on it doesn't sound like she loved the plan she just said she wouldn't fight him on it yeah and again near the end of that scene we get the sense that she still has feelings for him because she actually says it to him oh yeah <laughs> i mean that's sort of the... uh, what she says i miss she says i miss you yeah <clears throat> right yeah um but she pretty much does not respond to well he he does first of all the stage directions give the actor something to work with which is the words affect him, but he shuts it down. He also then, you know, it, it. he says, you're the one that broke this. You did it. I didn't end this. I wasn't trying to end this. You did that. And then that's further elaborated on in the scene where Xavier and, and uh, Omari are talking. And, and Xavier's like, you think it's all me, but stuff happened between the grown-ups and you don't know about it. And the son's like, you mean the fact that she was cheating on you? Is that the stuff <laughs> yeah. that I'm too young to know about? And then mm -hmm. and then really lays it out. He's like, 
Do you think maybe the fact that she was cheating on you had something to do with the fact that you treated her like dirt all the time and she was just desperate for somebody to be kind to her for five seconds? Oh, I love that speech. Yeah, there was a lot. <clears throat> There's a lot loaded here at the end of the play. Mm -hmm. um, fantastic. That's the correct answer. Next question. Um, scene eight. In the teacher's lounge, what does Lori confess to doing after a fight has broken out in her class? So I feel like if I just say what Lori did, it sounds pretty horrible. So I will say a fight breaks out in Lori's class. Um, one of the boys, this one of the boys is really terribly injuring the other boy. He's got his head and he's slamming his head repeatedly into the cement floor. So to get the student to stop because there was no security there, Lori hit him with a broom. So if you just say Lori hit a student with a broom, that sounds really bad. If you say Lori saved a student's life whose head was about to be smashed in by ending the violence, that to me sounds like a teacher intervening to try and save another student's life. Yeah. And done, you know, yeah, everybody and that's what she and, says, yeah. And she's like in all this trouble because she hit him with a broom and Dunn is saying how you really shouldn't have done that. And she's like, I should have just stood to the side. He's like, Yeah, you should have stood to the side. And I think after these shootings in Uvalde, it's kind of like, um, no, you don't just stand to the side. You try to save children's lives. <laughs> like, that's what you have to do. And I have a lot of problems with Laurie, but that's not something I have a problem with. Doesn't even sound like she really hurt yeah, she the was, student. It just stopped the violence. Right. And he immediately ran off to the principal's office <laughs> after it happened. But it ended the fight. Yeah. <clears throat> the student didn't die. Um, correct answer. Next question. Um, so at the end of scene eight, Naya uh, is having a breakdown and she ends up going to the hospital. Why? Um, she clutches her heart. She starts to feel this terrible pain and they think that she's had a heart attack. But really, it's just the anxiety of trying to keep her son alive has caused a breakdown. <clears throat> yeah. And it's interesting because uh, the way that the stage directions are, have been set up all the way up until this point... There's so many references to breath and uh, uh, shortness of mm. breath or, the, or, or she's catching her breath or she's uh, feeling like a, taking a breath of um, uh, make, a breath that she's making a mistake or trying to recover from making a mistake. Um, there are all these references to that throughout the play. And I was like, this means something. This is going somewhere. This is going somewhere. So it kind of builds to this moment where she's having this, you know, she's clutching her chest and she's ha she's unable to catch her breath. Um, so it felt like it's been setting it up through the, this whole play and they kept linking it to Gwendolyn, um, uh, Gwendolyn Brooks's play, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Gwendolyn Brooks's poem about the, where the last line is, we're going to, we're going to die. Um, so they kept linking it throughout the play like that and, and this losing breath. Uh, so I was like, oh, my gosh, they're setting it up that Naya is going to die at the end of the play. So I was just I assuming that that, that was going to happen. And then it, oh, my gosh, that's what I was I thought thinking. Omari, <laughs> I was like, oh, no. Omari was the one who kept saying we die young. And and every time she said it, he said it, she was just terrified. I thought they were setting up the whole idea of the pipeline, the school to prison to dying young. Like I was certain 
they were setting up Omari dying. And I was like, I can't take a play about a woman dealing with her son's death. And I think that's what I thought originally. And then I was, I felt like I was being led in this other direction with all of these, this breath connected to Naya specifically. So, um, I was happy that she didn't actually die. And then we do go into the next scene. Correct answer to the next scene. And the last question in the hospital, in the waiting room, Xavier and Omari have a conversation. What does Omari finally reveal happened in the altercation at school? So the reason why Omari, he, he revealed this to his mom and then revealed another layer of it to his dad. And I thought that was an interesting mm -hmm. second set of um, reveal, a second layer yeah, of reveal. I like how that was done. So it makes it, everyone talks about how Omari attacked a teacher. He beat up a teacher and, uh, and it was videotaped. It's going viral and he's going to get kicked out and maybe get arrested. Um, when Omari describes what happens, they were reading Richard Wright's son, Native uh, Richard Wright's book, Native Son, and Omari is the only black kid in the class. And the teacher keeps turning to him and saying, "Well, why did the the main character kill this woman? Why why is he such an animal?" And like he just kept asking these questions, and he tried to say to the teacher, "I don't want to answer these questions." And the teacher kept pushing. So Omari stood to walk out and the teacher grabbed his arm and he shoved his teacher away from him, which slammed the teacher into the board. So shoving someone away who's grabbed you sounds very different from attacking a teacher. Um, but then the second level that we get in the conversation that he has with his dad in the hospital, he's saying, I woke up that morning and I was thinking about how I hadn't heard from you in weeks and, you know, this check came from you. He gets these checks from his dad, but, you know, he hadn't heard from his dad. And what kind of parenting is it? You know, you, you, you don't call, you don't visit, you don't involve yourself in my life. You just send a check and that's supposed to be you parenting. And that this was really on his mind. And he was thinking about his dad in the class. And so his anger at his dad got all tied up in this confrontation with his teacher. So when he shoved the teacher, he really wanted to be shoving his dad. And the dad was so affected by it. The dad did what you just, uh, you know, you don't actually have the luxury to do as a parent, which is he leaves. He's like, I'm going to step off, need air from all this. You don't want me in your life. And I don't, I don't know what to do about that. I wish I dot, 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 but I don't even know what else to do. Guess what? You stick around and you figure it the f out. Like you don't get to just be like, well, this is hard. I gotta go. That dude. What do you mean? I can't throw money at it anymore. So I'm, I guess I'll just, yeah. Check please. <laughs> yeah. This is after like before Omari's incredible monologue explaining what happened with his teacher. He, the dad is just like, you will respect me. And it's like, that's, that's not, you don't get to scream at someone to respect you. And the dad then says, sometimes I want to grab you by the throat and choke the out of you. And I wrote in the margins, and this is a father. Nope. Nope. Nobody nope. 
<laughs> Nobody know. That is the correct answer. <laughs> and that's the end of the quiz. I do feel compelled to say that there is another scene. Um, you know, because the quiz usually covers the plot. But it's a very confusing scene because it does seem like the the climax is this fight between Omari and his dad, but it's it's like this sort of wrap up scene where Jasmine talks about how sad it is that that their relationship is over, and Naya is clearly talking to the board of directors, trying to plead for clemency for her son, and then there is this one little moment where, you know, that the quote that I had earlier, where she's like, "Please tell me what to do. Give me a list of things to do," and he says, "I actually do have a list of things to do," and he gives her this what I think is a great list. Um, he says, one, hear me out. Two, let me chill sometimes. Three, know when to back off. Four, know when to keep pushing. Five, let me have some space. Six, don't assume me for the worst. Seven, show up in person. Eight, be fair. Nine, forgive that I'm not perfect. And 10, I don't have a 10 yet, I'm working on it. I thought that was a great list. I feel like as a teacher and as a parent, it's it it kind of sums up how I approach dealing with younger people. I feel like there's this whole assumption that because someone is younger, they are not wholly individual people deserving of respect and that they you should be able to yell at someone and force them to do your bidding and force them to try and be the person that you want. Where people think there are no repercussions for that. <laughs> it's, just, it's mystifying to me how people think treating children is going to result in anything other than, you know, the country we have right now, a country full of so many grownups who are so messed up. <laughs> so I, I feel like your, your quiz followed the clear arc of the plot. And then there was that other scene at the end that made no sense. <laughs> Where we are no longer following the arc of the plot. But I did want to mention that it happened. <laughs> but it doesn't surprise me that like... It was in a little... Yeah. Like what if I got to write a quiz epilogue. back? <laughs> quiz, last quiz question. Then some weird stuff happened. What was it? <laughs> the playwright was like, well, I'm out of time. I'm just going to close my laptop. <laughs> Gonna have to send these people home eventually. <laughs> Steppenwolf has given me a deadline. We we start rehearsals next week. I guess I should have a finished play. Oh no, is the curtain coming down? <laughs> Quick, wrap it up. You go over there. <laughs> Hopefully the overview and the quiz questions have given you a clear sense of what happens in the show. But if you'd like a more detailed outline of the plot, you can check out the summary of the play that we have in the synopsis section of our website. There's a link to this in the podcast show notes episode description. But now we're going to move on to the analysis section. Plays were meant to be seen, not read, but before a production is ready to be seen by audiences, even before rehearsals and production meetings begin. The job of the theater artist is to come to a deeper understanding of the text by looking at it through an analytic lens. In this section, we'll get to know this play a little better by talking about it through a single piece of analysis. This week, we're going to be using a technique 
called Meaning of the Title, which you know because I mentioned it earlier. Um, this is one of the parts in Francis. Hashtag backwards. This is what. <laughs> this is one of the. <laughs> this is a less thrilling part of text analysis. Is the hashtag backwards? Meaning of the title is a is one of the pieces in the idea section of Francis Hodges' book, Play Directing. And I do think it is a crucial piece sometimes. It's like a the last jigsaw puzzle piece that you can put in to make something make sense. Um, sometimes it's really evocative. I always love the title Cat on a Hot Tin Roof as a way of thinking about understanding a character, a situation, you know, Maggie the cat, she refers to herself as Maggie the cat, uh, is in an impossible situation. If she keeps staying on the roof, her paws will burn. If she jumps off the roof, she'll be destroyed by the fall. So it's a great metaphor for her situation. And in this play, I think that everything gets changed by this title. Um, I think many of us at this point have heard the phrase, the school to prison pipeline. So, you know, as long as this isn't about <laughs> moving gas from Canada through tribal lands to the U.S., you know, the play title pipeline is going to make you think of this school to prison pipeline. So the fact that they keep talking about how Omari might get arrested and the fact that the mother is just trying to keep her son alive and out of jail and moving forward and thriving. In the theater, there's this term Chekhov's gun. It's this idea that if you put a gun on stage, you have to fire it, you know, that it's it's expected. It's there. It's, you know, it points to it getting fired at some point. So the title almost seems like it's a Chekhov's gun because you're waiting for Omari to get arrested. You're waiting for this thing to happen. And so when I finished the first read and it hadn't happened, I, like you were describing earlier in the episode, Ricardo, I was kind of like, what? But I was waiting for that thing to happen. I thought it was going to happen. And so I felt a little bit frustrated. Um, but then I realized that that's what life is like for Naya. That's what life has been like for Naya for some time, for the students she cares about, but most importantly, for her own child. This fear that at any second, something could go wrong, something could go wrong, and he would get shunted off to prison. She has actually this monologue that she's trying to explain to Jasmine. I'm going to search. Um, in the scene where she's trying to get Jasmine to understand how much she needs to find her son, she says, it's a gamble, Jasmine, all the time. You send your young man out into the world every day or away for a weekend, a semester, a school year, but you don't know. You have no idea if they're safe. You have no idea if one day someone will try to expire them because they are too young or too black or too threatening or too loud or too uninformed or too angry or too quiet or too everyday or too cool or too uncomposed or too mysterious or just too, too. You don't know, Jasmine, and it's frightening. It leaves a tremble in your heart on a daily and if someone could ease that trembling by unveiling just a little piece of the puzzle, it would mean everything. So do you know the, 
Do you know the myth of Damocles? Do you know what the sword of Damocles refers to? Um, refresh my memory. Damocles was this courtier in this court in ancient Greece who just thought it would be so amazing to be the king. And the king and the king was like, Well, you can be king for a day, but here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna hang this sword by like basically dental floss, and it's gonna be hanging right over your head all day. So you can do whatever you want while you're king. You can eat all the foods, you can have all the fancy women, you can spend all the money, but at all times the sword is just gonna be dangling by the thinnest thread. So the guy spends the whole day completely freaking out that the sword is gonna that the string is gonna break and the sword is gonna kill him. So he can't really enjoy the fancy foods and the fancy women and the fancy money um, because this sword is hanging over his head. So I went from thinking of this play, I went from thinking of it like Chekhov's gun to thinking of it like the sword of Damocles. It's not meant to be this thing that is going to happen in the body of the play. It's meant to be this weight that hangs over over Omari's head, over Naya's head, that this thing could happen at any time and everybody knows it and it's always scary because of it. <clears throat> I totally see that. And then, and then the sense of, uh, or at least the sense I got because I was struggling with that. I was like, where's the title? Gonna, where's the title? Where's it going to click? Where's it really going to click? Um, you know, where am I going to see a conveyor belt of, you know, kids running through this system? Um, but yeah, this is not really what the play is about. It's actually about kind of making it a present, um, making it very present, you know, um, highlighting the sense of this is at any time. Yeah, it, that any you're time right. That the, an axe for could almost fall at no any reason. Time. Yeah, I was do I was watching some videos and you know reading a little bit about the whole school to prison pipeline and i saw some of these things where like kids were arrested for the dumbest things like just absolutely the most shocking dumbest things um a kindergartner was arrested for throwing a temper tantrum scribbling on desks sneaking into school for playing a senior prank playing the fresh prince theme song on a cell phone um students got suspended for hugging a friend and chewing a Pop-Tart into the shape of a gun. Like this whole notion that for the dumbest, tiniest, most irrational, I mean, I'm not saying that there aren't also big violent problems like the thing that happens with Lori as well, but that, that you could be as safe and as polite as possible and still wind up Suspended, still, still wind up yeah. arrested, still wind up dead. And so I think one of the things when you consider the meaning of the title, why did the playwright pick this title? What does it illuminate about the text for me? You know, for this, for me, it was because the play, if the play had been named anything else, so the play had been named, you know, A Mother's Worry or the play had been named, you know, Omari's Journey or whatever, or, you know, or the play was named We Real Cool, it wouldn't have that same, it wouldn't have evoked the same sense of the racism that Omari is subjected to. We feel it more because of the title. And not just do we feel it more, but like I could have this moment of, oh my God, right. This is what moms 
of black men can go through this hoping and waiting and praying, just trying to get their kid safely through life. I think it's always, I think it's always best to assume when you're working on a play, it might not be true, but it's always best to start with the assumption that the playwright knows more than you do. So rather than saying, ah, this shouldn't be here, like to really take a second and challenge yourself with like, wait, but why is it here? Why am I asking this? And sometimes you might, you know, it's entirely possible that you run into a play where the playwright hasn't really considered these things. But I think it's best to start with, hmm, I wonder why Tennessee Williams picked this title. (laughs) What does it tell (laughs) me about this play? Does that help at all with your frustration with the title? Oh, no, absolutely. No, I was able to get past it, but it was just, yeah. (laughs) I just thought it was very interesting that immediately I was like, wait a minute, the play is (laughs) over. (laughs) Wait, we never get to the thing. But, but right. Why was it? Why did you? Oh, 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 yeah. It was one of those, you know, (laughs) um, but lovely, lovely. Well done. If you're curious about the techniques we've used on this or other episodes of the show, you can find more information about them on our website. There is also a link to that in the show notes. And remember, it doesn't matter what techniques you choose, taking the time to comb through a text with a deliberate analytic task will always result in a clearer sense of what that show is about. It's now dramaturgy time! This is the section where we each share an example of something we learned while doing research on the show. I liked my dramaturgy. Can I go first? Absolutely. All right. So because she is repeatedly referenced, I wanted to research (laughs) Gwendolyn Brooks. Gwendolyn Brooks. This was not a name I was familiar with. Uh, It's entirely possible I read about her earlier in life and completely forgot. I don't know why I keep making these sounds today. I apologize. Um, In scene three, Dunn asks Naya if she's out of smiles. If she's out of smiles, what's left for her students? And Naya answers Gwendolyn Brooks. And on my analysis read, I was like, oh, okay, okay. This playwright, this poem is repeated a whole lot throughout the play. I'm going to look into this, this poet. So she is the author of the poem, We Real Cool, which is used in in Naya's class, but also repeated many times. Um, That was written in 1959. It was published in her third collection of poetry. Um, So Gwendolyn Brooks, born in 1917, passed away in 2000. She's an African-American poet. She won the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry on May 1st, 1959, which made her the first African-American to receive a Pulitzer Prize. So cool. She was the poet laureate of the state of Illinois from 1968 until her death 32 years later. She was also the U.S. poet laureate from 85 to 86. In 1976, she became the first African-American woman inducted into the Academy of Arts and Letters. She was put on a commemorative U.S. postage stamp, and it's so cute. Um, she uh, The poem We Real Cool, she wrote it because she was driving... Um, in the middle of the day, past a pool hall, and she saw a bunch of boys, school age, obviously not in school, um, shooting pool during school hours. And she asked herself, 
She didn't say like, I don't know. I wonder why they're not in school. She asked herself, I wonder how they feel about themselves. So this whole we, we real cool, we left school. This is her answering that question, how they feel about themselves. I found an audio recording of her reading the poem. And I'll put that um, as a link in the show notes. Oh, man. <laughs> is this all of your dramaturgy? Well, that was. <laughs> Um, and I thought it was really interesting to listen to her talk about it and to how she read it, because there were things that she said that, uh, the playwright wrote very different interpretations of it in the play. So, um, the poem was banned for, uh, in some places because the assumption was that the word jazz, like we jazz June, um, that that meant something sexual and the playwright's like, that's not what I meant. I meant the music, but whatever. <laughs> um, I thought it was I thought it was particularly interesting listening to her read the poem because in the way it's written in the play, it's we real cool. We left school. We lurk late. We strike straight. And and they reference the way it's written, where the word we is at the end of the first line, but they don't read it that way. But when she read it, she said, we real cool, we left school, we lurk late, we strike straight, we. She really attached it to the end. And I just felt like that changed it. So Yeah, and the analysis that Naya gives during that scene... Uh, talks about how that you know how mm -hmm. that works what that what that can mean or what that evokes or whatever and i, I love that part too yeah i also thought yeah. it was funny when naya's asking her students you know uh she says june is a girl's name so jazzing june means what and then she says okay paul i think you can find a better phrase but laying that yeah. pimp <laughs> game will do for now so even though that is definitely not what the poet meant it's a funny line <laughs> That's awesome sauce. It's all your dramaturgy um, too. Well, no, I was going to say uh, growing up, Gwendolyn Brooks was a, a, a poet that I was familiar with because that was um, someone I learned about in school. Um, and, <clears throat> but I forgot a lot about, I've forgotten a lot of her work. So it was nice to kind of be reminded um, and to actually go revisit. So I think that that link <laughs> was the link that, uh, that's going to be our shared dramaturgy <laughs> this week. I liked um, how she started out that link saying, I do wish the people knew that I wrote more than one poem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe this will inspire you to read some of the other 5,000 poems that I have published. Yeah. Highly recommended. <laughs> highly recommended. Um, beautiful. Okay. If you would like to learn more about the research and analysis that we did for this play, we post all of our findings on the Patreon. So if you sign up to be a supporter there, you can see everything we uncovered. we've gotten familiar with the structure of the play we get to talk about our reactions to the text and our artistic interpretations of how a play like this could be brought to life all right so 
I know you said that you were interested in directing this show. Did you have any, what, what calls you to that? Did you have any specific vision happening? Did you have a, a, a thread that was important to you? I think the, uh, the, just the sense that I felt such a strong connection in this, just in the, the character descriptions, um, that I felt like that was the initial spark. But then of course, as I kept reading, um, feeling a significant amount of representation just throughout the play, um, was nice. And I kind of felt like I kind of, I wanted to um, kind of be at the helm of that, you know, um, and learn more about that. But the sense that you could make it such a present uh, or give it such a present feel and incorporate so many different elements um, as far as, the, you know, different technical elements like video mm-hmm. um, and weave in like present day uh, footage <clears throat> Um that that's kind of exciting to me, like putting all of that stuff together as yeah. well. I did. I agree. I, I took the note at the end of reading the uh, character descriptions that every one of these short descriptions made me feel like I knew those people. Yeah. Um, like right away before they even said Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have any clear vision in terms of directing the play other than I just I, it didn't say it. But when the third scene begins and they're supposed to be getting stuff out of the fridge and putting it in the microwave and eating and grating, I, I, I just started thinking about doing the show with all of the gesture, but none of the actual props. So like you don't, there's no microwave, but you put your hand forward and you hear the beep, 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 beep as you're pressing the buttons. That was, yeah, I love that. Um, uh, one of the ideas I also had was, you know, in playing with in playing with gestures and things like that, was the sense that you know distance. And she just she describes this in her stage directions that it's uh, oh my god, what is the exact word that she says something about um, uh, uh, un uh, an undefined space, yeah. an undefined space. Um, so the sense that it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be realistic at all. Um, so. I was thinking things like, okay, if they're ha- if they're in a scene or they're talking to each other or talking about each other or whatever, you can see, uh, um, like the the okay specifically <laughs> the one scene where uh, Jasmine is talking about, uh, or, or she's having her little bitch fest scene, um, and describing all the things that that could have gone wrong. I'm I'm seeing this in one of the monitors or the display or projection, like uh, clips of how all that that stuff being acted out, you know, or um. Uh, being reenacted or 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 whatever um the the first scene where Naya is on the phone talking to or, or leaving a message <clears throat> uh seeing you know the video or inter intercut of uh, close-up shots of her leaving the message as well like that's projected on the screen um just weaving weaving in a sense of uh, distance, I think. So they're either, they could be standing right next to each other, even though they're leaving a message for each other. They're not in the same space, but they're in the same space, uh, playing around with distance like that. You know what else you could see while Naya was on the phone leaving messages for Xavier is like pictures of their wedding, pictures of them with baby, yes. 
with baby Omari and like watching them go from being this loving couple long ago to distance, distance, cold distance, then just pictures of Naya and Omari, you know, just, you could see the whole trajectory of their marriage, you know, flashing, like you could just stack photographs on top of each other on the screen. Yeah. And I, I love that idea too. Cause uh, one of the lines I think she has is how do we get to this point or whatever, but, or how do we get to the stage or something like that? Um, but then in, of course, yeah, you can weave into, you can weave in all those moments that came before. Like it wasn't just this present moment that got us here. Um, so I feel like I kind of want to talk about Xavier and Laurie a little bit because I loved all the other characters and felt really connected to them. And I was so mad at those two characters, um, which would make it, it's difficult. Like if you're, if I was not that I would, but if I was directing the play, I couldn't just hate two of the characters in my play. This is what I remember my question now. Okay. This is what the Lori with the heart is. <laughs> yeah. And my question was, like it, I know you said that you didn't like the character of Lori, but if you had to play that character, would you be able to find the love in it? Yeah, because I know that's I always a big thing for you. Is it in there? Is it written in there, or would you have to invent it? Um, it is. You know, first of all, I think that Lori says a lot of things that I think are troubling, but I, Lori is also coming back from this massive trauma. You know, and I think that would be a very interesting thing to try to parse out, you know, playing a character who is trying to be the person she thinks she is, but dealing with this horrific nightmare attack that she endured and all of the healing that would have taken her so long to get over. Um, so I think that's an interesting, I mean, it was just, it says it was three and a half weeks ago. That is I know, which doesn't no make time at all. Um, I mean, maybe the surgery was finished three and a half weeks ago. That would make more sense because major facial reconstruction would take a minute. The problem is, you know, she starts talking about how spanking students and punishing students is the way to go. And that goes very much against my ethos of how I think children and humans in general are, are, are supposed to teach supposed to be taught, supposed to learn. You can't, you can force someone to be compliant. You can scare someone. You can traumatize someone into doing your bidding in the short term, but it's never effective in the long term. It might be survivable in the long term. So people are like, ah, oh, you know, this happened to me. I turned out fine. It's not that big a deal. But all studies show that any kind of violence towards children is damaging and so I have a very, very hard time with her talking about these stories from the past where she talks about hitting kids and like the way that she trained Louis Gaspacho to make better choices, who then like went into an institution. So clearly, you know, didn't help in the long run. I think that teaching by shame and fear is laziness and ineptitude and always, always, always wrong. So I... I do, I know that there was, and there's like an old school way of thinking that says spare the rod, spoil the child. That's been completely disproven. It is the wrong way to go. So I could probably, 
could probably find my way around it. I think everything else about her is interesting. I think that I think that it makes sense what she chose to do in the classroom. I think that she's a pistol. I think she says some fun, funny things, but I don't know how to get past her talking about beating children as the way to learn. I don't want to say those words, even if it's like illustrating, oh, this was not a good idea, which I don't fully feel like it does. No, <laughs> I don't either. I kept picturing Kate Burton um, in the role. If you know her, she was the vice president on Scandal, that actress. Did you ever watch Scandal? Some of it. She was like the crazy right wing vice president who murdered her husband. Oh. She's a pistol. Oh, she's great. Yeah. She's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Xavier, I mean, I hated the dad so much in my first read through. I felt like he was so manipulative um, in the conversations with Naya. He says whatever he wants and he gets as explosive as she wa- as he wants. But the second she tries to push back, he's like, no, no, don't do that. Don't make this about that. Like he he doesn't allow her to have any kind of human reaction while he allows himself to have all of them that kind of selfishness that kind of gaslighting i want nothing to do with him. he's awful um i did i do feel like there's a thread within him of someone who cares about his son of someone who cares about his ex-wife but it is a thread it's not like he is just an innately good guy and he treats his son terribly he want i've you know it's funny because obviously i carry a lot of baggage of the uh not involved father trope and you know it's interesting madeline's father when he sees her which is of course extremely rarely but he wants her to treat him like a loving doting father and he's done nothing to earn this he wants her to treat him the way she treats me and she's like i'm not treating you that way you didn't do anything to earn that i didn't know you yeah yeah (laughs) and so he wants both that sort of adoration and that unquestioning respect i'm your father you should listen to me and she's like you're a moron i don't need to listen to you and so he'll try to discipline her and try to kind of get her to pay attention and she wants nothing to do with it she's like bye don't need to listen to you and so this dad is like trying to demand that his son respect him while he shows him zero respect so yeah i think xavier i i i think i could both work with xavier and laurie if i were directing the play because i think that there is a core of a good person in there, even though I think they're making terrible, terrible choices. So I could work with that, even though Jennifer hates them. No, but I get it. I mean, and they do, I guess, symbolize or represent um, part or variables in the pipeline system Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. you know, that these are parts of the problem or these are, these are, you know, Altogether, these are all a problem. Um, on their own, they might be forgivable in some forms or fashion, but you know, all combined together, they just perpetuate the system and perpetuate the problem. So, 
you know, another piece of analysis that I like to do, um, this is the, the, the way that it's labeled in the David Ball book, Backwards and Forwards, is stasis, intrusion, climax, stasis two. So I just always abbreviate it as S-I-C-S and then two little lowercase Roman numeral I's. Um, I think it is, I, I think- Stasis two, electric boogie. That is what I said every time I taught it, even though- Mm -hmm. reference. <laughs> even though my students knew what electric boogaloo was i saw breaking and breaking to electric boogaloo in the theaters actually i don't know that that's true i don't remember seeing breaking two i mean i don't remember seeing breaking i know i saw breaking two electric boogaloo but they're both 80s movies yep. right and one thing i thought about was the fact that laurie's talking about yeah back in my day blah 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 and she's what in her 50s in in what 2017 18 or whatever this is um so she would have been what teaching when in the 80s no and i was in school in the 80s i don't remember this, I, yeah, this I feel kind like of mentality i in almost schools. would have bought it if she was older or if the play was set earlier like yeah yeah I was saying, I yeah. was definitely shaken very hard by a teacher my senior year of high school shook me really yep. at my Quaker private high school oh see okay it's Quakers I don't know where Lori was teaching back then well but like the whole that's like that's more ridiculous you'd expect me to have that happen at my public high school the year before not at the school like where the whole central tenet of being a Quaker is nonviolence. Um, but yeah, and like it wasn't like he shook me in front of the school and it was shocking. But nobody thought like that man needs to be fired. Nobody was up in ours. My parents didn't object to it. Nobody said, Jennifer, oh, my God, you should sue him. It just seemed par for the course yeah yeah now it's like un like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> it's unfathomable <laughs> yeah so i do feel like i do feel like if she was a little bit older that kind of violence would that i feel like in the 80s that and definitely the 70s that would have been more permissible especially if she taught at like a catholic school So, um, but I do think, so like looking at this, the initial stasis and the, in, and the intrusion, like, I do think it's interesting to think about what was the world of the play like before the play begins? What is the thing that cracks it wide open? And then what is it built to? And what is the new stasis? Um, I always think that's, that's a really interesting way to look at the arc of the story. And, and, and it's hard with this play because that last scene is so confusing. Like you're not really sure what the arc is. Um, but I didn't, it didn't quite stand out to me until this, until I did the analysis that that check that the dad sends, that's the inciting incident. That's why he attacked the teacher. It's not like the attacking of the teacher is the inciting incident. The school had been racist and problematic for some time. It was this check coming and this lack of a presence of his father getting him really upset that primed him to lose it when the teacher continued his racist 
and problematic behavior. And this was already strike three, and we never hear about what those other exactly. first two inst- instances were. Like, what were those? What happened there? Although it's clearly um, the way they react to the fact that he shoved his teacher away from him, it was clearly nothing like that. Like, maybe he got into a fight with another student, or maybe he just, like, talked back to somebody. I don't know. That's all I have to say about don't that. Don't lay your hands on nobody. And finally, to wrap up, we want to talk about what this play is about. The end game to all deep looks into a play really is for the artist or theater goer to be able to answer for themselves the question of what they think a play is about. It is where ideas for productions come from, and it is how a play lives on in our hearts and our minds after the lights go down at the end of the show. And most importantly, it is where we get our own sense of knowledge about a play rather than taking the thoughts of someone else's because we all get to decide what a work of art means to us. Um, so yeah, Jennifer, what do you think this play is about? You know, the title, as we were talking about before, the title was so intense for me that I thought the play would end more completely. But now I really do think that the whole point was to consider this pipeline at all times. It it seems so possible that with no effort at all, these young men of color can get pulled right from school into prison, that everyone believes them to be guilty before they can even start to thrive as innocent humans, that both the mom and the dad, even though I hate him, (laughs) have poured themselves into trying to fight against the gravitational pull. It's scary. It feels like it can just happen if they don't do everything possible. So they have, it just hangs over them like the sort of Damocles, like I was talking about. So the main thing to me that this play is about is that constant fear, that constant possibility, and that it's almost like winning the lottery if it doesn't happen, because there's no real way to prepare for it fully. I also think I see the characters in this play, many of them trying to understand things. I think that uh, people are worried about these other people in their lives. Like, what do I do? What did I do? How can I make this better? And I I think particularly with the parents, Naya asks him, she expresses her undying devotion to trying to help him and says, please tell me, what can I do? And the dad just tries to bully him into being what he wants. And as a result, the dad is just shut out of his life and the mom gets the answer. I think that, uh, I think Omari and Naya are both trying to keep each other alive. It's not just Naya trying to make sure her son is safe. It's Omari trying to get his mom to stop smoking cigarettes and stop drinking and to be a happy person. I just, I I think that underneath it all, the play is trying to get us to see these statistics as individuals that and asking us to treat young people with respect. You don't get this notion that kids are somehow less human and therefore should just bow down to what grown-ups think they should do or say or be. Like I of course think that a grown-up needs to be in charge, 
but they can't be dictators and still expect thriving young humans. Omari is close to a legal adult, yet his father wants to show up and bully him and threaten his life and think that that this wholly separate individual should just allow him to treat him horribly because he's his dad. That's That's not how people operate. So I think this play is reminding society of a problem while it reminds us of ways to treat individuals with love and care and respect so that they can have a place to grow into the better versions of themselves. Wow. Yeah. That's um, very much in line with, I think where the place I came to at the end of the play. Um, there, There's this one line at the actual end of the play and it's a stage direction. It says the moment lasts a lifetime and this is after Naya touches Omari. She grabs his face. She looks at, she looks into it deeply, and she studies him for all the answers. And this is the moment that lasts a lifetime. Um, and I feel like at the end of the play, uh, I I feel like I've heard this the the phrase "a moment lasts a lifetime," but at the end of this play, at the end of reading this story, I felt like that hit me in a different way, or it, it kind of made sense to me in a way that it didn't before. Um, so yeah, the idea that this moment lasts a lifetime made sense to me, or it was it kind of became clear to me, or it resonated different to me in uh, what the, the, first of all, the beauty of a moment where a mother is just having this loving moment where she's trying to understand her son but but she's just gone through this whole experience where she's basically unleashed like what you just said like all of these emotions and all of these dreams and all these hopes and desires for what can happen or what what she wants to hope what she wants for him um and long after and you know, of course, thinking about a monster calls, which we just did, uh, thinking about what my mother might have wanted from me, like thinking about all those moments and how they are still with me, and like just moments like that, significant moments in our lives with significant people in our lives, significant individuals in our lives resonate and do last a lifetime. Yeah. So there's a moment earlier on when uh, Omari kisses Jasmine and it says, the stage direction is he it, he kisses her, it lasts an eternity. Um, so that made me think, well, well, geez, how are you gonna, you know, how are you gonna stage that? How are you gonna stage that moment lasting an eternity? But <laughs> you can stage it in a way that you get the sense that it is something that has made an impression on you. And that impression is what lasts in eternity. And I think a lot of this play um, uh, touches on the themes of things that are kind of continuous and ongoing. And again, that connects it to a sense of a pipeline being something that is um, this continuous flow of something that you can't really, something that was created long before us and you can't really do anything about in your present day, um, except try to do the best that you can. Uh, and, and that is really, yeah, that is really at the end of the day, what this play, uh, how it resonates the most with me. But taking it back even to the beginning of the play now with the sense of how elaborate and specific uh, she was with the character descriptions. Um, 
it reinforces the sense that I agree with that this is a play about individuals and a play about um, respecting human life, no matter what form or fashion it takes and how familiar it might be to you or how unfamiliar it might be to you. Um, uh, but these are human beings um, on the edge, constantly struggling with the, the this sense that an ax might fall or the sense that you might just get sucked up into the system um, and never be seen again or, or, or never have a life or never be able to achieve the dreams that that um, that you want for yourself or that the people that love you want for you. So uh, the biggest gift I think that this play is 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 making real human characters, um, telling real human stories, making it present, um, uh, and, and, and making it honest and authentic. So yeah, <laughs> that's what I, what this play is about is, is all of that. <laughs> You've been listening to read more plays. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to see all our posts related to this and other episodes, as well as post your own comments about Pipeline. If you liked this episode, we'd be so grateful if you left a review on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way for us to reach new listeners, which we really want to do. You could also tell a few friends about us so our theater community can grow. Come and join the community of incredible people who are supporting us on Patreon. Every week we post bonus content like video clips of extended conversations we had while recording each episode, what our analysis and research for the show looks like, bloopers from our recording sessions, and more. This episode of Read More Plays was produced by me, Jennifer Sassaman, Ricardo Frederick Evans, and Samuel Fitzwater Butchard. Our theme music is by the incredible Kaylin Harewood with additional music by Bob Sassaman. That's your dad. We'd also like to send our love and gratitude to the amazing people who are supporting us on Patreon. We are infinitely grateful for your support. Our final episode of season two will air in two weeks when we will be discussing Destiny of Desire by Karen Zacharias. A comedy. Thank the theater gods. Finally. (laughs) Until then, I'm Ricardo. And I'm Jennifer. Reminding you to read read more more plays. (laughs) (laughs) And scene. And scene. (laughs) Jennifer from the past is 100% going to do that.